Welcome back, everybody, to episode 23 of the Back Lounge Podcast. My name is Tank. I'm your host, and I'm a tour manager and guitar tech with over 15 years of experience in the touring music industry. And if you're new to this podcast, what we do here is just invite on bands, artists, other musicians, other roadies, and we just have conversations about whatever. I don't have questions written out. I don't have, you know, Q&A stuff. I just come into these podcasts with whatever or what is in my head already. And we just see where the conversation takes us. And I love that because I feel like it's more natural and we can get to know each other. And for today's episode, I was lucky enough to get Kyle and Leo from Brand of Sacrifice, one of my personal favorite bands that I've been listening to uh, probably about for the last year or two, like pretty regularly. And I was super excited for this one, but I will say before we go any further, I got to apologize for the long gap between the last episode and this one. There is a reason for that. This intro that I'm actually recording right now, I'm doing super last minute. I already had one done, but I wanted to do something that's more current and up to date because I had originally planned on having this episode out like at least 10 days before this is coming out, but I was super busy. I was out guitar teching on the North American Powerwolf tour, which was fantastic. But unfortunately, I came home with COVID and I had successfully avoided it for three years. But go figure my first full tour back after having a kid and stuff. I got it. But I was lucky, man. I didn't have terribly many symptoms. The only big thing was I was just gassed all the time, man. Just super drained and tired like five hour naps in the middle of the day for getting things. I was supposed to record a podcast with one of the guys from Nanowara Steel the other day. Totally forgot about it. So I've got to reschedule that. And uh, yeah, I, I wanted to have this done, but I didn't. But I just finished editing like our conversational piece of this. And I will say, not that it matters to you guys listening. This was probably the most extensive edit I've ever had to do just because of um, audio quality issues. I had to do a lot of editing of levels and stuff like that. So if this doesn't sound perfect, I do apologize. I did the best that I absolutely could, but at least for me, when I was going through everything's, you know, understandable and and good. So hopefully you guys still enjoy this, but, uh, you know, these guys, man, are just so busy and they're, they just haven't stopped. Um, One of those current things that I was talking about was before we recorded, they were prepping for tour, but right now they've already started the second leg of the Pain Remains tour with Lorna Shore. They've also got Shadow of Intent, Body Snatcher, Boundaries on that tour, massive lineup, and they've already had a few shows, and everybody that's gone has said it's fantastic, and I saw the Pain Remains tour on the first leg when it came through Nashville, and it was awesome, man, so I'm super stoked that these guys are on the second leg. And then later this year, they're going to the UK to do shows with uh, Spirit Box and Loathe. Then they've got some European festivals. And then a couple weeks after this podcast comes out, they're actually releasing a brand new EP called Between Death and Dreams. That is going to release on April 21st, 2023. And if anybody is interested in supporting the band or wants to check that out, they do have a few singles that are out already. But you can also go to brandofsacrifice.com. It's got links to all their socials. It's got tour dates where you can listen. And they've got all of their merchandise on there that you can check out too. 
And speaking of merchandise, one of the other things we talked about on this podcast is Shibori Threads. That is the clothing company that Kyle and Leo have started together where they do really sick, like tie-dye designs for other bands and brands. They actually have licensed stuff with a lot of bands and a lot of different brands and stuff. You'll see in this, you know, conversation, I was wearing a Children of Bodom hoodie that is theirs from Shibori. Really cool stuff. And if you want to check out what they have for that, uh, you can go to shiboriThreads.com. But uh, yeah, I've been talking for a while and I just kind of want to get you guys into this one. So uh, let's get going. All right. Well, we're back. Uh, episode 23 of the Back Lounge Podcast. I always need to check. I never know. Welcome, first timers, Kyle and Leo from Brand of Sacrifice. How are you? What's good? What's How you doing? On, oh, just fucking... I'm having an evening coffee and just in, enjoying some some company from a couple coffee. dudes. I love it. Nice. Yeah, we just ate we just ate some pretty crazy food. What's so crazy? We're feeling full and sleepy. What's, cra what's crazy? What's crazy? We had some flatbread. We had some donuts. We had a little bit of everything. Wait, hummus, flatbread, and donuts all together? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good combo. I mean, it sounds better than what I just had. I couldn't eat all day because I had to get blood work done today, and I just ate about oh. $30, $30 worth of Taco Bell before we did this. So, Oh, good. Nice. That's a lot of Taco Bell, dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a dumpster, dude. I eat like an idiot. Oh, we've been eating really bad, too. So no oh, judgments I, here. I, I imagine you guys just you got off uh, a, a pretty solid tour. I'm I really looking forward to hearing about that because – January and February, uh, you guys were out on the uh, We Came as Romans tour with uh, Era, and I, you know, I follow you guys on social media, and I was just seeing the pictures and the videos from that, and that just looked like such an amazing tour for you guys. Tell me about it. Yeah, it was, it was excellent. Um, it was a three band bill, which you don't see too much these days, and I think if that was the meta, I think it would be great for both the bands and the fans. Mm. I think sometimes, and we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier. Uh, before we started, that uh, having a bill of five, six bands that are very heavy can get a little bit tiring. Mm -hmm. um, but in this case, we had great diversity between all three bands. Every band sounded different. We were obviously quite heavy in comparison. Uh, but we also had the uh, collab song with We Came As Romans. We did a song called uh, Dark Bloom with them. We did a reimagined version for those who don't know. Um, we got to play that. So um, the fans are very stoked from both camps. Uh, so it was a great time. Everybody on the tour is great people, great vibes, and uh, everything was very smooth. So That's awesome, man. I was actually going to ask about that because the reimagined version that you guys did with We Came As Romans that's one of those moments for me where I've talked about many times one of the most like magical, cool things I like about music is that you can tie your emotions to music that you hear in the time. And mm -hmm. I'll never forget the day that I heard that first song or that song for the first time because I can't remember why, but I, I know I was angry about something and that song was exactly what I needed that day. So it's oh. I love that collaboration, but I'm I'm curious about how it came about because most of the time when bands do reimagined and stuff like that, it's usually more acoustic or lighter. How did, how did that all come together? We're like, Hey, we want you guys to do a uh, dark bloom with us, but it's going to be heavy as hell. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. So, uh, we car actually reached out to us 
for that through their management team. Um, and they they just suggested to do like one of their bigger tracks on the album with them um, with more of a heavy brand of sacrifice spin on it. And we thought it was a pretty cool idea because, like you said, it's usually acoustic reimaginings that that end up happening. Um, but yeah, it was it was we were super stoked on it because we had never done something like that before, and especially across genres. Um, I think it turned out extremely well. I can't. I don't know if that had been done before yeah i don't know either. between like a metalcore band and a deathcore band like that like i can't a, think of anything and yeah, usually think. what's been happening is bands will re-release the same song that they've already released but with a new guest vocal on it um for example like the fit for a king august burns red split comes to mind um the stuff like that is is usually what you'd um expect and I think that was the original idea, actually, was just have me do some vocals on the existing track. But then we thought, you know what, let's actually take it a step further and have the whole band collab and add the production elements and the actual uh, brand of sacrifice toolkit to the mix. So um, I think I, w- I couldn't be happier with how it turned out. And it was a ton of fun to do. Oh, dude, I mean, it, it it was such a cool thing for me, too, because while it is clearly Dark Bloom, it's also mm-hmm. clearly Brand of Sacrifice. Like, there's no, <laughs> the overall sound on that one definitely sounds like it was, it could have been on one of your albums. And I just think that's cool. I remember th- seeing that and being like, there needs to be more of this. Like, I want to see, like, bands doing reimagined stuff that just goes heavier. Because, like you said, like, nobody yeah. really does that at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And that track in particular just like translates well when mm-hmm. you put a heavy spin on it. Um, so yeah, it just really worked out. It, it, it definitely turned out pretty unique too, in my opinion, with all the post-production that we added. Yeah. I think it's really cool. So you you specifically, Leo, seem like you're like the production brain kind of in the band. Correct me if I'm wrong. It just seems like it from my end. Um, how much of that, like, did you just get your hands on their tracks and just just get in the in the production zone and just pretty much do whatever with that did you have free reign to do whatever yeah pretty much nice. it was, <laughs> they were basically like yeah here are the multi-tracks you know take a listen and i just ended up basically retracking the whole song um and i used to i still use like a good portion of, of the tracks that were initially in there as you mm-hmm. can hear um but yeah i just added a bunch of new stuff on top of it um changed a few kick patterns around on the drums and such um I kind of wanted the breakdowns that existed there to feel a little bit different. Um, so I did some work on those. And then obviously the ending that everybody talks about, that was yeah. not a song at all. So we just popped that in there for fun. And I remember when we were doing it, we were like, man, I don't know if like <laughs> they're going to approve this. Like this is ridiculous. And they ended up just loving it. So yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. super happy that um, we were able to put it out in that way um, because it just it, it totally elevates the song to like a completely different thing. I agree. And it's funny because it doesn't matter what genre of music it is. What I've noticed with a lot of bands is like bands love how heavy like uh, musicians, like band members and a lot of these bands, they just love heavy, filthy stuff. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of the new metal that is sent to me is from um, um, he's actually from Toronto. Um, His name's uh, Nate. He's a guitar player for uh, Thomas Rhett, like country Nashville country. Okay. Okay. Cool. And he is 
such a metalhead. And a lot of the guys like in country music in Nashville are all super metalheads, which I find so interesting Definitely. because it's like, you know, so I, I want to start seeing that. I want to see like country deathcore and see how that works. I don't know if it's going to translate <laughs> as well, but you know, <laughs> I don't know about that one, yeah. but, but I mean, knows, right? dude, perfect example. Uh, my last tour before like COVID and having a kid and stuff, I was working for this country artist and the first day I ever worked for him, I came in with no rehearsals. I, I like somebody got fired and I came in, we start sound check and their drummer sits on the drum kit and starts playing the extremely familiar kick pattern of bleed by Meshuggah. Oh, yeah. I'm just yep, like, yep. like, wait, what? And then yeah, the metal musicians are sneaking in there, man. Yeah. And then the, and then the guitar player, one of the guitar players I was teching for was like, Hey man, uh, let me see my Explorer. I'm like, okay. And he starts riffing along with it. And I'm like, okay, I got two yeah. guys in this band that are ripping Meshuggah on the first day I'm here. Like what is happening? You know? Yeah. <laughs> they're out there. Mm -hmm. They're definitely out there, man. And, and the majority of people, uh, techs and roadies that work in country right now are all like guys that I toured with on warp tour like 15 years ago and dudes from metal bands. It's like everybody moved to Nashville and just started working for country bands because you, know, you, you tour for three days a week and that's it, you know? Oh yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> weekend warrior. I would imagine. Yeah. And like a lot of uh, metal musicians these days end up producing outside the genre as well. Like uh, a good one to mention is Tim Henson. Mm -hmm. He does a ton of pop and hip hop um, in the mainstream now. And like, I think there was like a Doja Cat rendition of one of her songs that had sort of like a a rock or alternative kind of spin on it, mm -hmm. and that had a bunch of metalheads involved. So it's like, you know, it's it's definitely making its way to the mainstream, which, um, in my opinion, is very encouraging. It hasn't been there for so long, so I think it's it's a good thing mm -hmm. for everybody to contribute outside genres or across genres. It's healthy. Yeah. I mean, sp speaking of this, what did you guys? I want to get into the kind of the quick band history too, but like. You know, when you were when you were growing up and stuff, I mean, what was music for you guys? What were you guys listening to? For me, dad rock. <laughs> <laughs> I was raised on like Guns N' Roses and shit, so. Nice. <laughs> uh, growing up, Linkin Park, System of a Down, In Flames, um, sort, a lot of mellow death. Yeah, you're stuff. like me. <laughs> um, there's this band from Canada called Billy Talent. Oh, that yeah. was big for me. Uh, some 41, uh, simple plan, all that kind of stuff. Blink. Okay. So we've, we've all got to be around the same age then thirties. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's that you're, you're speaking the turn of the century, new metal pop punk wave, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. Everybody like kind of went through that. Yeah. Those phases, you know? Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So, you know, you guys, I, I, there, there's probably people out there that already know this and I'm sure a lot has been talked about, but like for me, getting you guys on is always fun because, uh, listeners might not know you and I, I don't know the history too, but you guys snuck up on me kind of out of nowhere. Like over the last few years, um, you know, extreme metal has started getting very popular again. And for, for a while I kept seeing every, every time I'd go online, people are like, you got to check out brand of sacrifice. Mm. And then I finally did. And I was like, where the fuck did these guys come from? And from what I understand, I, I would like to hear like the quick story from you guys, but from what I understand, you guys had been in bands together before, but brand officially was what was first released. It was 2018, right? Yeah, it was Ish. May of 2018. We released our EP called the interstice independently at that point. 
it it got re-released on a small label shortly after that in, in the fall but that was technically the beginning of the online presence at least mm-hmm. we didn't tour till a year later or so 2019 okay um how does it work out for you guys with you know some of you guys living in canada some of you guys living in the states like do you guys, I, I got to imagine like in the early days, like were you guys just sending each other stuff online or were you meeting up and how did that work? It's uh, primarily Leo and I writing the tunes. Mm-hmm. So it's just sort of either jumping on calls or just chatting on messenger and sending stuff to each other. That's yeah. typically how it's done. So, so we, prep, go ahead. I was just going to say, the reason why I think that works well for us is because there was a period of time where we did write together in a room. Um, so we kind of know what we both like in a sense since we've been working together for so long at this point. So uh, we don't even have to really discuss it too much. It just kind of happens naturally. Yeah. So when you prep for a tour like you did with We Came As Romans, does the whole band get together and do you guys do rehearsals or do you guys just know your shit that well that you just get out there and you're good? We mostly do rehearsals just to make sure tech's working most of all. Yeah. Uh, And then just go through the set, shake the rust off a little bit and make sure everything's feeling nice in in the, in the set. Um, You know, timings between songs and um, songs going into each other. It's mostly just that kind of stuff as opposed to actually the jamming part where we're pretty dialed in individually beforehand. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's funny because lately I've been seeing a lot of bands that like they skip out on production rehearsals and it blows my mind. Like right now I'm on a break. Um, I've been guitar teching for power wolf and it's their first time in the United States ever. And, and Canada, we did Montreal, uh, no rehearsal day. They just came yeah. over and the crew had a tech day where we could get everything together, make sure it was working. But like, there's no band rehearsal. Like the, the first time we knew everything was going to work was at soundcheck of the first show. And it was like, yeah, yeah I think yeah. when you have like, I mean, that makes sense, especially if they have a more of like a robust crew. Yeah. Like for us, we usually have pretty minimal crew. So mm-hmm. we're, the, we're the ones doing the teching. Yeah. And we're the ones basically dialing everything in beforehand. Like, obviously, we have front of house and all that. Um, but that's the main reason why we do the rehearsals, just to make sure everything's working and we all know what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, I also, the production piece of it. I also understand from the situation you're, you're referring to, sometimes it's tough when you're coming from uh, another country internationally. We definitely don't rehearse when we go to europe or uk Mm -hmm. often because it's just hard to coordinate um locations and whatnot it's easier to fly to the first destination or wherever your bus might be yeah for example so i kind of understand that a little bit yeah yeah i mean as long as you know depending on what your crew is and a lot of these european bands though it's like some of these european bands that are like arena sized in europe they come here and it's like clubs and they bring minimal crew so it's like mm-hmm. i think on the power wolf thing we have like four crew including me. okay so it's it's not like a gotcha. giant operation or anything by any means but i i get what you're saying because you know years but years and years before i became a roadie like i was in a band and like yeah. same thing we it was van and trailer we had nobody with us but us five we did everything so it's like 
you know, I, I, I totally feel that. And I, I get that. And I, I think like I, I've done a, a good job of, of letting fans and people know, like, just because a band that you like is either signed or getting really big tours and stuff like that, it doesn't mean that they're like rock stars and have a full crew. A lot of your favorite bands that are still touring that you think are big probably have a tour manager slash front of house guy and a merch guy. And like, they're doing, they're still doing that hard work, man. You know, and it's, you, you see that on a lot of levels of a lot of those metal tours out right now. Definitely, man. And like touring is just, getting more and more expensive too so I mean, it makes everything's sense. up yeah. literally everything from merch prices mm-hmm. to gas to people's rates are up mm-hmm. yeah because we you know everybody took a hit from the pandemic so i understand um yeah it's definitely much more expensive than pre-pandemic for sure bro when the operation when when we're off camera again i'll, I'll tell you because this isn't this shouldn't be public information but I've been adva- I've I've been getting bus quotes right now for yeah. the summer tour with Electric Callboy. And I've tour managed before. I've seen bus quotes in the past. Dude, some of the quotes I'm getting back right now, every time I see my email, I'm just like, Dude. what? Yeah, like, how so, are bands even affording to tour right now? This is ridiculous. You know, it's crazy. And again, this probably shouldn't be in there either, but I remember... <laughs> Two years ago, we were looking at bandwagons and it was like 15, 16K for a tour. Mm-hmm. Now it's 33. Yeah, dude. So it's it, literally double. Yeah. Like it's nuts. It's, That's crazy. It, it's it's <laughs> nuts, dude. That's why like, again, I tell all the fans and stuff that watch. I was like, you know, the big, the big hot topic right now is, uh, you know, merch fees. Everybody's talking about merch fees. Yeah. I get involved here and there because I was, uh, I was a merchandise manager for like the first eight years of my career. And I think this, this stuff should be talked about. And I think bands should be transparent about it. But the, the, my issue is that sometimes, um, the truth is being exaggerated or not told all the way. Like for example, Mm. uh, recently, I think it was monuments that just, that made an announcement like, Hey, we're not going to sell merch at our show in Italy tonight or, or, uh, I think they're in Greece because we have a 47% merch fee. Right. But, and, and I wouldn't have sold merch either. I would have told the band I was working for, just don't even do it tonight. Tell people to go to your online store. But the truth is 27% of that was, was tax. Tax. It was VAT. So it's like, I, 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 I side with the bands. I get it, but I'm like, tax is tax. You would have had to pay that even if you didn't have a merch fee, like that's just added on. But you know, my take with these merch fees, man, is like, you know, I imagine you saw this on your last tour, but sometimes all the support you get as a band is just, you show up and somebody points in a corner and says, there's your spot, go for it. And at the end of the night, we're going to take 20, 25%. And that to me is, is ridiculous. If the venue has done nothing for you guys, then that's a whole different argument, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think well, the first the first issue is it's already in the contract. So you have to speak with your booking agent first. That's where it would start with. Um as far as the the rate, if you're going to have a 20 or 15% rate, then you should probably have someone doing the merch for the bands mm-hmm. and ve- and being an actual vendor. Mm-hmm. Um because that's a ridiculous amount of um, cut just to offer a what six 
six by six spot in a room. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, or six by three spot in a room. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes proportionate to the retail space yeah, you actually so, get in a venue. It's- so to me, I mean, but that's at, at the end of the day, it's in the contract. So the bands need to have that discussion beforehand. Um, you know, but there, you could also say that, okay, maybe the promoter, the venue wouldn't book it without the merch rate in there. That's another topic. But, um, I think if they're going to take that level or that amount, they should be vending it. Mm -hmm. Um, that would make more sense. I don't care about the bar split stuff that people say, oh, the band should get a split. No, that Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. But, um, that's just what I think at least. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. And one of the things that, again, I've I've tried to tell people, too, is like I actually I actually had like I think it was Alpha Wolf's fans kind of came after me for a minute because when that big thing with Alpha Wolf happened where they were on stage being like, fuck this venue, fuck this promoter, they're taking all this. And then in their same video that they posted, then their guitar players like, yeah, of course we paid it anyways, because it was in our contract. And I'm like, that's that's the big problem here, too, is like. You can't act like the venue are, are, are bad guys that are stealing money when it's in your contract. Now, to what Kyle was saying, that's something the agent needs to work out. And the venues and the promoters definitely have the upper hand. They they could just say, well, play somewhere else then. And then what happens? You know, you're kind of roped into the merch fee no matter what, it, which yeah. sucks. You know, there's more discovery, I think, that needs to happen yeah. to have before people start to, you know, pull out the pitchforks and and whatnot. So that's probably where we need to start, at least, is learn a little bit more about how it's working on the back end with the agents and the, the venues and promoters. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is I remember I saw somebody on Instagram be like, well, if it's a if it's a 20% merch fee, you know, the, the band is, if they sell 10 grand, they're still making eight grand. I was like, well, not necessarily, because the one thing that the fans don't think about is the cost of printing, the cost of shipping, and like you said, cost is up yep. anything. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I did this for years and I knew what our costs were. And it's like, you're even with a 20% merch fee, sometimes you're really after costs. I mean, you're talking 50% or less. Yeah. Around bands. 50% margin is to be expected. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. I think and that's pretty much average on the tours we do. It's around 50 to 55% profit. So in your opinion, because this is something that's asked by a lot, I'm just kind of curious what you guys think as band members. Would you would you rather people still buy merchandise at the show or would you rather them just buy it online from you guys? I'd say the show. Um, because there's, it's important to provide an experience. People go to the show because they want to see you as human beings. They also want to have something to return home with something. Maybe that's exclusive to that show. Cause you want to build memories and, and, and that's, the point of a show really um so i mean online is awesome too you know it all it helps you would support the band more most likely being online depending on what kind of structure you have with the merch company you're working for or if you do it independently but um i still think it's good to buy at the show Mm -hmm. um because at the end of the day you know i still want our fans to have a good experience and and have something they're excited to wear and talk about. So it has its benefits outside of just the, the margin involved. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, is like, I, I I've been going to a lot of shows over the last few months. I've, I've seen no decline in people at shows, dude, the, no, the, crazy. The, the, the line 
for merchandise for Lorna Shore when they were in Nashville was literally like two hours long at all times. It was yeah. like the, it the, the, the venue people were like, we've never seen anything like this at this place ever. Yeah. And then it I mean, was the same when I saw Ginger like a week later. It was like, well, fans are definitely not that mad because they're still <laughs> lining up no. and buying, which is good. And like, if you want to get into it from a business standpoint, at what opportunity are you going to see that type of traffic or volume? No, merch? an online day merch day. drop can be successful depending on what the item is. If it's limited, maybe, mm-hmm. but it's not the same as when you're in person. It's way more volume and uh, opportunities to network and, and meet the people that are supporting you. Um, that's what I take from it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, often I'm there at the merch table. I usually go after the set and I'll talk to every single person that is, is coming by. So, yeah, yeah. that's all. That's yeah. awesome. So speaking of merchandise and exclusive items while we're at it, cause I'm curious about this too. Um, you two started, um, Shibori threads. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, so what's funny is I've actually, this has become kind of a joke now. Uh, I got home from tour and I got this hoodie that I'm wearing right now. For anybody that's not watching on YouTube, I'm wearing this beautiful black and red tie-dye children of Bodom hoodie that is from Shibori Threads. I have wore this hoodie every single day for maybe two weeks now. I have washed it in between. It's I'm not that grody. <laughs> but every time I jump on Twitch, people are like, oh, he's got the hoodie on again. And... When I bought this, I'm not going to lie. I, I always knew about Shibori. I always looked at the website and looked at the, I'm like, man, this is sick designs. And some of it, if I'm being honest, is a little like loud for my personal taste. But like when sure. I saw this, it's like black and red is my favorite color combo. Children of Bodom is one of my favorite bands ever. I bought it immediately. And I don't think I found out until like three days later that it was actually your guys' brand. So I want to know more about this too. Was this, uh, it seems like this was kind of a, a, like a pandemic project for you guys that turned into a full thing. Yeah. Let's, let's hear it. I'm, I'm stoked on this. So, um, the, I mean, I, the, I guess the reason why it started was because it was supposed to be so sort of like a side project, like a passion project to kind of help stand up and support some of our peers in the scene at the time. Um, and you know, the reason why it came about was because historically when Brandon sacrifice did, you know, tie-dye focused drops on tour or online, like they would just crush every single time. And I think this was around, this was 2019, maybe 2020, summer of? 20, it was 2020. Yeah. Yeah, because so. we, we were coming back from, we were in Europe at the time, mm-hmm. and all the uh, announcements came about where yeah. the travel was going to be shut down. So we had to actually jump on a plane at three in the morning Oh God, yeah. <laughs> come back so Real. we i think we've been home for like a month or two and yeah. then started thinking about this yeah so and it was also around that time where you started to see a lot of tie-dye trending in like mainstream retailers like mm-hmm. h&m one places like that so um it was just really good timing and i mean today the brand has grown tenfold we've worked with some of our, our favorite artists over the years and just keeps on crushing so we're super happy about it. I mean, it's it's both Kyle and I were really involved in the business end of the band and, of, and that type of thing. So, you know, Shibori kind of came naturally to us. And yeah, it just like exponentially grew like crazy 
over the past couple of years. Um, so I'm really pleased about that, and I'm really happy to see that you're wearing your children's yeah. hoodie. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> one of the one of the things that I I saw was in the FAQ on the website because it's probably a question that gets asked a lot is are these officially licensed items? And they are. I I know how this works. I know you can't just put a band logo on it and make it, but you know, you guys have, um, you guys have done collaborations with a lot of bands in the scene that a lot of people know, but something specifically like this, I was like, I'm not going to lie. I was like, how the hell did these guys get licensing for children of Bodom? I mean, a band that technically, even at the time, technically was not really a band anymore. Yeah. Was, is there a lot of like red tape and like politics you guys have to play to do licensing for a lot of these bands or are they usually pretty just much just like, yeah, cool. Kind of depends. I mean, for us, we worked really hard on building credibility for the brand early on. And as a result of that, we were able to really grow our network. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes we work directly with band members themselves. Sometimes we work with their managers. Sometimes we work with, merch companies and those license holders. So it kind of depends on the artist. Um, but I think without that initial goal of remaining credible uh, and legit uh, and making sure everything was official, we probably wouldn't be at the point where we are now. So it, it kind of varies depending on who you're working with. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's it comes from years of, of hard work and building relationships, I guess. But I, I mean, I just pulled up the website right now while we're talking just to look again. And for anybody that's listening later, um, you can go to shiboriThreads.com or I'll, I'll put links in the description on the YouTube. But it's like some of the collaborations on here are very, they're varied a lot as well. Like some of the top mm -hmm. stuff on here right now is like the Devil Wears Prada, Ginger, Animals as Leaders. And then something is random is like Dying Fetus. When I saw that, yeah. I was like, what? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some great stuff on here, man. I mean, it's, it's a Cradle of Filth, another one. Like, um, you guys have had some phenomenal drops on this, man. And I just, I, I love little side passion projects like this that bands get involved in. And that's why I'm, I'm just like so stoked on this. Like, so congrats on this so far because it's you. really Thank cool. You. Also, when is this coming out? Because we can tell you what we have coming up. Um, well, that all depends on if I feel like editing it while I'm on tour next week on a day off, which I probably will. Uh, this will probably come out uh, not next week, but the next, I don't know. I, dude, I never know what day it is. I don't even know what day it is right now. Okay, okay. so okay. if it comes out next week, um, next it, week we have this, Gojira it, coming out on Friday. Oh. Which will be sick. Um, and if it comes out, Sometime in April, uh, we're working. We're working with Namco on Dark Souls. You know the video game yeah. franchise. Yeah. So that's going to be our first video game crossover that we're doing. It's going to be the entire month of April. We're dude, working on that dude. today, actually, just setting all that up. So that's huge, sick. huge yeah. things. Yeah. Like we're really, really excited about. Damn. Well, I'll probably release this the last week of March, so that'll be a okay. good timing. I mean, speaking <laughs> really quick side story. Speaking of not knowing what day it is. Like I was having dinner with my wife and my daughter last night and I got an email notification. That's like, you know, somebody has entered your zoom chat and I was like, oh. dude, did I get my days off? Like, did, am, I supposed to be, <laughs> no. am I supposed to be doing this now? Like, did you guys, did you guys just get on last night thinking last night was the night? We had one too many green tea shots. And we're excited <laughs> to get on and talk to you. <laughs> that's Literally, amazing. that's, that's why. You, you guys are officially the earliest. Most artists show up to these late and like you guys are officially now early, the earliest. 
I've dude. I get it. I, I never get upset about that stuff because everybody has crazy schedules, especially um, especially if you guys have like an album release and like PR or whatever has booked like full days. Like when I did that podcast episode with Anders from In Flames, mm. I was the last of his day and he had already been doing it for like nine hours. Wow. And I'm just like, oh, that's brutal. I'm oh, sorry, dude. Like, I don't want to keep you. <laughs> but like, like there's I mean, that's that's the one thing that I, you know. There's so much more work in the music industry for band members than what people actually see, dude. Like you guys don't get days off. Yeah, there there's a lot. I mean, it kind of depends on the position you're in as a band, I guess. Like for us, we're mostly we've done it we've done it independently for the majority of the the band's career, I guess. So it's a little more work for us than if you have management or a label, I think. But even then, I mean, you still have to wear a lot of hats and Mm-hmm. sort of understand some of the business and it, again like kyle and i love doing that stuff so we just naturally don't have a lot of bandwidth to do things every single day because yeah. we we have our hands in so many things but um yeah i mean it can it can be a lot definitely a lot and i mean it's it, so correct me if i'm wrong i mean you guys have distribution and stuff but no management no label all you guys right we do have management okay uh, now but that's a new development yeah. uh within with the last six eight months yeah six to eight months. okay um okay. We just hit, I think, a point where we we never want to be the most uh, intelligent people in the room. We want to learn from others, uh, and I think we hit a point where we there was too much discovery required and not enough time to do it. So uh, we wanted to sort of fast track things. We found an amazing partner to work with uh, with Rock Nation. So um, that's a a very new development for us previously it was just leo and i doing all the day-to-day yeah so yeah i mean there's i always am surprised when i find the bands are doing it themselves like it blew my mind uh sabaton completely self-managed their whole career oh, wow. i was like wait what and their bass That's player crazy. was like yeah i've i've been our only manager in our entire career and it's but obviously that uh you know, that operation has grown to a point where they have a lot of people involved with a lot of things, but that's what I always tell bands that are like, when should we hire somebody for the road? When should we hire to do something like this? And I was like, when you feel that you can't do these things anymore, like, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. And that, that happened with Bloodywood recently too. Like they were like, we feel as though we're able to do all of this on our own. And it's like, well, you know, if you feel like a manager is going to open more doors for you and you're going to learn stuff from them and stuff like that, then maybe think about it. But, you know, one of the things um, I know from being in the industry too, is once you get a manager or an agent or anything like that, percentages start getting shared around. And right. Yeah. Yeah. I think like it's almost important to almost not have a manager early on. Like, I feel like you need to know what you're fucking up super early mm-hmm. and make the mistakes yeah yeah like you kind of need the experience because it'll help you select somebody to work with later on that will actually drive some meaningful results for your career um not to say that like they're like managers are shitty or anything like that. they're definitely not it's just like it's right the right fit yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Need a, you need a good culture fit you need chemistry and like they need to care about your project but you also have to know like what your goals are i guess yeah. You know, and like, even though we have a manager, we still do yeah. a lot of stuff ourselves. 
because that's one thing that we sort of came to an understanding and we liked about um, the situation. So it's still all the small stuff. We're still dealing with it. And then it's more about big picture strategy and um, formulating the right tours and, you know, picking the right vision and music videos and people, people to collaborate with that um, is part of the big picture. So it's uh, long-term planning and and big picture type stuff. And they also help us navigate, like we're, we're in this weird transitionary period. And I like to think of it in tiers, right? Like we're tier one, which is a small band, tier two, mid-level band, tier three, big band, tier four, arena band. We're, we're like slowly climbing the tiers. And every time you get into a new tier, like you're unlocking a fucking battle pass. Like, yeah, there's so much in the unknown that you kind of need somebody to help you to navigate, especially someone with a ton of experience and understands where you are now and has a sort of a strategic mindset about it. So like for us at tier two, you know, I feel like we're a mid mid sized level band, but we we're very ambitious and I think we're sophisticated in the way we operate. We needed somebody who understood what happens at a high level and can help translate what's going on there to our situation. So we can kind of take steps together. So I think that's like the big benefit with working with rock nation. They have large backing and they have a lot of experience in that next tier that you have to get to. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think where you guys are at, that's great. But one of the things that I always feel like has been overvalued for what you're calling like your tier one bands. And I say this from experience when, when I was at that level, I think a lot of the smaller bands get it stuck in their head that they're not worth any value unless they have a manager and get signed. Right. And I, I think that's something that's always been there. It's like people won't take us seriously unless we get a manager or, or we get signed. And, you know, we were dumbasses when we were in a band and we got a manager. We thought it was over. We were like, oh, we got a manager. We're going to start blowing up and getting on tours and stuff like that. And, you know, one of the downfalls that you realize is if, you know, a manager can help. But if you pick the wrong person, then after that, you're going to spend months, if not years, maybe cleaning up messes that they created for you, which sure. sucks. And it, it is partially like your own fault, too, because mm-hmm. like if you don't you're not able to define where you want to go in your career and like you don't understand like fundamentally how to operate your band as a business, which sucks to say, because I know there's a whole like argument of like artistic integrity and just being an artist and all that. Um, I personally think that's an unrealistic take because, you know, band is a business to some degree if you want to do this as a career mm-hmm. full time. But yeah, like if you if you don't understand where you want to go, like how can you expect a manager to just give you that on a silver platter, right? Like yeah. it's a collaborative effort. Now, ultimately, they do work for you, but you have to at least have some insight to your business if you want to get to and the next tier. I find uh, as well... A lot of bands, they want to focus on touring and writing and all those kind of things that are fun and, and awesome, the best parts of being a band. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they want to work their asses off in the day-to-day. Yeah. They don't want to learn about certain things, and that's, you know, you got to put the time in and put the work in. And like we said, we you got to wear those hats, and you have to be willing to do some things you don't want to do mm-hmm. so you can get to that next level. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's hard. It's hard. So I, it's like, I, can, I can understand, like, where they're coming from as well. Yeah. Like, it, but, everything I mean, changes still, all the time. To this day, it still blows my mind, kind of going off what you were just saying, Kyle, like how bands don't learn certain things. 
it it's like goes back to the merch argument we were talking about earlier. Like when monuments posted the picture of their merch settlement sheet where they did have that insane one in Italy, as a former merch guy, I looked at it and immediately was like, this is settled wrong. Like mm-hmm. whoever from their band settled this actually paid out more than they they needed to. And that's one of the things I've always tried to tell bands is like, if you're doing your own merch or you're doing your own anything, you need to take the time to learn how it's 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 done right. Because yeah. you could literally be just handing out money to for things you don't need to. And that is what I've realized with a lot of bands. Like after I did that video on YouTube about how to accurately settle a merch sheet, I, I had like signed bands get a hold of me and were like, like, really? Like, this is how you do it when you're a merch guy? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, we've probably given away thousands of dollars over the last like six months then. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in our, in our last band, we, we fucked up a ton like that too. And I don't really know the monument situation too well. Yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, nothing against them. I'm sure. It was yeah. A mistake yeah. Or whatever, None at all. Like I totally get like that idea of just like handing money out and like not knowing what the hell you're doing. And like, I get it too, like bookkeeping and accounting and shit. It's hard. It's tough. It's hard yeah. and it's yeah. boring. It's not fun. Like I hate tax season because I have to sit. I still haven't even done like, mine. Weeks. Like, it's yeah. It's going to be a disaster, but it's like, I totally get it. But, like Kyle said, it's it's honestly really necessary to have some acumen in those top topics. If mm-hmm. again, if you want to do this, want to succeed, job, like you have to care about literally every aspect of the band, um, or at least like somebody in the band has to have that kind of mindset. I feel like if you're mm-hmm. going to do it long term, like someone's got to be the guy to care about it. If you have multiple, even better. You know? Well, yeah. also. Um... There's going to be mundane, annoying things you don't want to do in the band, but delegate them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's often four or five, six guys in a band. Somebody's good at something. It's true. So delegate the task and because you don't want to spread one guy thin too. Mm-hmm, for sure. And it's easy for me to sit here now and also say like, you know, like, oh, monuments didn't do their thing right. But I mean, let's be honest here. I had to learn that at some point. Like, you know. I learned it maybe when I was in a band or maybe when I first started doing merchandise professionally. It's like, if you're not still learning new things every day, like what I, you I, doing? I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? I mean, I have friends, even with this YouTube stuff, I've been doing this almost three years now. And I have friends that are like, how long did it take you to like figure all this out? I'm like, I'm still figuring it out, dude. Every yeah. day I'm still learning something new about how, content creation works or the algorithm or even as simple as editing a video i learn like a new trick every time i'm doing it and i'm like if you're not constantly learning what you're doing like what are you doing (laughs) yeah like your approach now is is probably drastically different from what it was like even a year ago i bet yeah right like for us too it's like we're at a point now where it almost feels like we're at square one again because again like we're going up tiers so like We've now witnessed this whole new world, both professionally and musically, that we want to get into. And like now, we have to reevaluate, like a whole new approach to it, while still remembering like the fundamentals we've learned along the way. Because they're still applicable, but and I know this is all like high level, and it probably sounds like nonsense, but it, to me, it's valuable. You know, like just to think in this way, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's worked and for us, I guess. <laughs> for sure. One thing that you said about five minutes ago that I want to touch on, because I I feel that this is very important for people to understand. Um, You had said that the managers work for the bands. I feel like people don't 
fully understand that at times. And there's a situation that's been going on recently that I'm not going to dive into because it's speculation and I don't like to speculate because I don't know what's going on. But um, uh, Spirit Box recently announced that they're not taking part in the uh, popular monster anymore. And all these people are like, um, oh, well, maybe their management or their booking agent booked them on that without them knowing. And I, to Courtney's credit, she responded to somebody on Twitter and said, uh, nothing happens for a band without it going through the band first. Bands are the last stop on making decisions. And I thought I, I respected her so much for saying that because people need to understand that at the end of the day, agents and managers work for the bands and not the other way around. Like they're there to help guide them and help them with things along their career. But the the band is the final shot caller on on all of the stuff that happens in their career and not the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. totally true. And at the end of the day, um, the, like we said, the manager's working for you and they're going to want to work for that percentage. Mm-hmm. They want the band to be successful. You know what I mean? So obviously the band's going to pick the, the tour or whatever uh, situation they're going to be a part of but they're going to do their best to advise. Mm-hmm. Does this make sense? Does it? And you know, maybe with a situation like that, things develop and things change. You might've had an opinion in the beginning that was one way. And then something happens online or someone says something. It doesn't, I don't know exactly what happened with that, yeah. but yeah. it's always a developing situation. So yeah, it's tough yeah. to really know. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of um, Spirit Box, I wanted to get into some of the other things you guys are doing because, I mean, damn, dude, it's like I was looking at your schedule and it's, I mean, even before this, but because we're on the topic of Spirit Box, I think it was starting in July, July yes. 5th or something like that. Uh, you guys are joining Spirit Box and Loathe over in Europe. Um, and you guys have been to Europe before, but is this one of the... Is it safe to say that this is one of the bigger things you're going to be a part of in Europe in terms of a tour? Yeah, it's the biggest. Yeah, this Europe is the tour. biggest one yet for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think that one's UK only. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so we have some festivals in August shortly after that run. Cool. So we're going to be there pretty much the whole summer. Great, and we we haven't been there since the Rings tour and right before COVID started. Yeah, 2019, so, mid, early 2020, yeah. and that was our first time in Europe. So this is our second time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's dude. And I mean, what a great tour that's going to be because, you know, spirit box, obviously we've seen blowing up lately too. And, um, I, I feel like even though spirit box, spirit box is a good gateway band for a lot of metalheads right now, because I know people that are really getting into them that normally never listen to the music, but I feel like that that'll be a good fan crossover for you guys as well, though, because, you know, Spirit Box does have their more prettier stuff, but they can also be, you know, pretty damn heavy, too. And of course, loathe on that same bill. Like that's that's yeah. a that's a good lineup for you guys. Really man. So um, funny enough, we uh, we did a show in the summertime in uh, Anaheim at the House of Blues uh, with Spirit Box, uh, Dayseeker and us. So that was that was probably one of my favorite shows of our career thus far. So I know it's going to be an excellent time. And you're right, there's definitely quite a bit of crossover. And we went back to the same venue uh, months later with We Came as Romans, and there were a lot of people from that show that came back. So I nice. was very excited about that. So I can't wait for this UK tour. It's going to be great. Oh, that's going to be sick. 
And then right before that, I think that really the, the, the big the death core tour that everybody's talking about right now, um, Lorna Shore's second leg of their pain remains tour. I mean, <laughs> crazy that, lineup, right? Dude, that lineup is so ridiculous. And for me, for my money's worth, I'm actually kind of sad that this one isn't coming back to Nashville because of the first leg was here. Because you guys, um, Shadow of Intent and Lorna Shore are some of my personal favorite deathcore bands and all very different styles as well. And that's one thing we talk about with deathcore now is that you've got your, you know, your symphonic deathcore and your like tech deathcore and stuff like that, which is kind of, I think, where I would lean you guys more towards. But um, God, that is just such a killer lineup. Now, all these bands that are on that tour, are those all people that you have already done stuff with in the past? Or are these going to be some first time meetings for you guys too? Um, we have the second tour we ever did was the Summer Slaughter 2019 tour. Okay. And Lorna Shore was also on that. Um, a slightly different lineup at yep. that point. Um, so we've toured with them in the past. Uh, obviously, a lot has changed since that yeah, time for both bands. Yeah. Shadow of Intent, we've done a few runs with them. Uh, they are good friends of ours, so we're very excited about that, too. Um, we've not toured with Body Snatcher um, or um, Boundaries. Okay. But I know some of the guys in Body Snatcher, um, so I'm very excited. I like all the bands on this run. Every band is amazing. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to making some new friends and also seeing some old ones, too. Yeah. For, for my money's worth, dude, I, I personally, this has nothing to do with the other bands at all, but three out of five placement for you guys on that one, I believe it is. That is, yep. that's the money slot right there, dude, especially to a deathcore crowd. Cause people are still going to have energy. Now I will say they didn't lose energy throughout the show that I saw, but like, that's just a punishing lineup. And if, and if the crowds are anywhere, how they were on the last run, when I saw them, dude, it, it's, it's, it's going to be such a blast for you guys. Cause those crowds were, I mean, they were loud, they were energetic. The pits were going the whole time. And one of the things I thought was really cool is I'm too old for pits nowadays. Like I, I, I lived for that stuff when I was younger, but when I went and saw them in Nashville, dude, I sat my ass in the balcony, like right above front of house and just watched everything. And it was like, it kind of reminded me of like one of those old school pits where it was like, people were friendly. Like you could tell people were like making friendships in that pit and like helping each other out and stuff. Like it's, it's good crowds for those bands, man. It's, it's mm-hmm. going to be sick. Yeah. It's nice too. Cause that lineup has something for everybody. Like mm-hmm. If you listen to death for all, like you said, all the styles are distinct. So like there's a really good reason for people to stay, you know, from start to finish. So overall it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Crowd yeah. will be, crowds will be great too. Yeah, and I mean, the last time I looked, I think over half that tour is completely sold out already, which I I never thought I would see the day where like a, a deathcore or even a death metal tour is selling out like a major oh, yeah. club tour in, in advance. It's crazy. Yeah, I think there's just two shows left, I think, that are that still have tickets available. <laughs> yeah, one so. of, there was three and one of them just sold out, I think. So I think I think it will be fully sold out by the time it starts. Personally. I mean, or close to it. The the state of heavy music right now is so good. It's in a great place. It's only going to get better, I think. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, like that turn of the century when new metal started taking over and stuff like that. And industrial metal was getting big and like, you know, 
I was explaining to all the Europeans on my Twitch stream the other day because they don't know what the hell TRL was. I was like, you guys don't understand that like in the early 2000s in the US, you know, TRL was the big thing, the music countdown show that everybody watched. I'm like, you had bands like Limp Bizkit, Korn, Static X, Spine Shank, like all hitting number one on those. Yeah, yeah. And then it, you know, that trend kind of died out. But now 20 years later, it's like we're seeing it again where metal is starting to become more mainstream than it ever has been in the last 20 years. And it's, it's really cool to see. Yeah. I think back then, like you would see metal chart on the billboard pretty high, like fairly often too. And I, I could see it getting back to that point pretty soon. Honestly, like guitar based music in general, I think for the past couple of years has really pushed its way back into the front, which is a good thing. And I think like the alternative sort of, Culture is like cool again, mm-hmm. which is pretty sick. Um, so we'll see what happens, but well, I it's think, encouraging. I think the main thing of what sort of it was the music, obviously that came first, but there was also a style, an aesthetic, yeah, was, a feel, like an a culture. Yeah. Um, and right now, I think that's not quite there yet. Once that starts to spill in there um, more, then we're gonna see a big. Uh, upturn a big um increase even more than we're seeing right now um because i don't think we have a very defining style of clothing or hairstyle or you know any of those kind of things that come mm-hmm. with a culture of music and uh a vibe so yeah um, when, if true. i think of new metal i'm thinking of like really baggy jinko jeans and <laughs> chains and and say, frosted yeah. tips yep, that were yep. and mohawks and you know like skateboarding and these things mm-hmm. we need those tie-ins we need those cultural um figureheads in a sense yeah, um, yeah. so i think as we progress with deathcore and metalcore whatever subgenre needs some more people that are a little crazy with their style that that fans want to be like mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah uh, I, lo- I love that you brought culture into it because that is i mean that's really what it would like new metal around the early 2000s wasn't just the music it was it was a whole vibe it was a whole attitude i mean you could go to a mall and see a dude walking around and be like that's that's a metal dude right there. Like no question, you could see yeah. the style and know. And that's that's a really good point to make because, yeah, when I'm thinking about like metal right now, I can't think of anything that's like, you know, like you said in the 2000s. I'm like that dude's rocking Jankos, Etnies, and Dickies with like a yeah. ball chain and stuff. It's yeah, like, yeah. There there aren't really any brands I can think of right now that culturally like metalheads are really really into. You did see this. In the emo and scene days of the early 2000s, though, in the 2010s, mm-hmm. that existed. You mm-hmm. think about swoops and raccoon tails skinny and jeans. skinny jeans, that existed. But we need something. We need something right now. And that will elevate the genre to a new level because right now it's purely hip hop. Yeah. Hip hop yeah. dominates. Yep. Um, and if we want guitar based music or guitar driven music to be at the forefront, or at least relevant in the culture we need some aesthetic yeah yeah i feel like metal nowadays from a culture standpoint has taken a lot from other subgenres or other like sects of culture which is good of course like it makes it um more i guess it makes it more interesting but yeah there's like not one defining feature that 
comes from metal. Like that makes metal metal in the same way as it went when it was recognizable. No, like it, the early two thousand stuff. That's very true. Very and true. in fact, you see hip hop often grabbing old Metallica shirts and yeah. death metal tees and whatnot. But we haven't evolved with those things as much. We haven't. It's it's kind of the same thing. I love those shirts. I have tons of them. I wear them yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. But we don't have something right now that is defining. You know what uh, I think it is? I think it's because, like, in, uh, like, after 2010, everybody was able to create this stuff by themselves. You know, like, there wasn't, like, the idea of star power and mystery and metal kind of disappeared for a bit because anybody could grab an interface and do it. You know? Yeah, and the music... Which isn't a bad thing, The music thing, but... has gotten really good. Yeah. It's not... Well, not to say anything from the past was bad. I don't mean that. Right, right. Yeah. Music has, you know, taken a step further because a lot more people can create and get it out there. But there's not as much of that, you know... There's not a stylist that's yeah. helping a band. There's no, like, degree. rock stars. Yeah. yeah. You, know, like... I, you know, I'm kind of thinking about it as you're talking, and it's like... I think one of the problems maybe with the metal community at large is because it's the metal community has always touted itself as being very inclusive and we accept everybody and stuff like that. But there is a portion of it that doesn't. And I'm talking about the guys that like, if they see a hip hop artist wearing a Metallica shirt and they're like, Oh, you think they could even name three songs or tell me what their first album was. But <laughs> yeah. You get people that get mad about other people taking what they think is theirs. And at a certain like surface level, I understand that because when I was in high school, metal wasn't cool. Like I got like me and my friends got made fun of for being metalheads. Yeah, and now 20 years later, we see the Kardashians rocking Slayer shirts and Rihanna wearing like crocus shirts and stuff like that. And it's like there are these old school metalheads that are still just so God, I can't think of the right word, but it's like. They're mad. Like they're, they're legitimately mad that other cultures are liking what they like. And for me, it's like what you said. It's like metal takes a culture from, or it's culture from a lot of other cultures. It's like even my, my normal everyday look like black jeans, like white air force ones. Like that's not a metal look. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, dang! I, I'm gonna be classic about shoe this. though. Classic shoe. Wow, oh, dude, it's a solid <laughs> shoe. It's comfortable too. Um, sure is. Very padded. Yeah, but man, you guys are gonna make me think about this for a while now. Though it's like, like that's that's the missing link. It's like the music is there. Definitely. It's it's the culture in the mainstream that's not there. We need something iconic. Yeah, like it was, but just in this new wave, like just need something like, that's iconic. Even when you think back in the day of the biggest new metal acts and singers and whatnot. You had Slipknot with Corey Taylor and the masks and the whole vibe of Slipknot. And you had Fred Durst with his red hat and his vest. Yep. Um, everyone's a character. You yes. could, you want to, you would want to pick those guys and create them in WWE video games. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it had defining characteristics about them. Um, we need to develop that. We need to find that in the metal scene. It doesn't have to be corny. It has to be an extension of who you are as a person, um, obviously, and and what you value. But we need to start thinking about that more because at the end of the day, 
the music is what's most important, but we're also here to entertain. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, because it's so tight knit now, like the idea that there is um, an entertainment aspect to this, like showmanship, that's almost been forgotten. Yeah. Um, I feel like if that comes back, then we're back in the mainstream. No problem. Well, I feel like I was before I jumped on with you guys, I was having a conversation with another artist from a band uh, from a German band. And I told them my take on this, looking at it right now is like, this is why the European metal scene is doing so well right now, because mostly in the U S we have great bands, but it's your stereotypical. Um, and this isn't everybody, but it's like, what do you get with North American bands? A lot of the times, you know, like jeans, t-shirts, they go on stage and shred. Look at all these European bands that are blowing up right now. It is like, it's like theater. It's like all the, mm-hmm. even a band like exactly. Elect, Electric Callboy. It's like these guys are going on stage and basically playing characters and going crazy for an hour and a half. And that's a big thing with a lot of these European bands is they have they have a theme and they they stick to a character. And I think, like you said, it's like people want to be entertained. And that's what's really crushing right now, especially in the North American market. Some of these European bands are bigger than they've ever been here. Oh, yeah. And also the big North American acts too, like, Spirit Box, Courtney has a character, the you know, the Metalcore goddess, second coming mm-hmm. of Christ or Metalcore. You have Ice Nine Kills, which is totally theatrical in every sense, even down to their live show. You have Motionless and White. They're, yeah, their Chris, outfits are like polarizing. Chris has his make- makeup yeah. and his style. Yeah. Yeah. Like those bands that have kind of figured out that that's, that's what is really missing, like they're yeah. at the top and they're at the top for a reason because they, they, they're kind of, they, they've just figured that out. So I think the more we embrace that side, um, like like you said, we already have great music. That's really just the missing piece. I feel like in order to become like fully culturally relevant longer. So yeah. interesting to talk about. Welcome yeah, to the yeah. Brain of brand of sacrifice. I mean, you guys are gonna make me think about stuff. I I haven't even thought about this. Like right when Kyle, you started saying culture, I was like, I was like fucking onto something. I never even thought <laughs> about that. Like yeah, yeah. Well. The other thing that I often think about a lot, this what we just talked about is the main thing. But the other thing I think about is you mentioned the the pits being more friendly. Mm-hmm. I think that is reflective of some of the newer generation, the Zoomer generation. They're a little more. Um, they obviously love the aggression and the heavy music. Yeah, they're nicer in in the pit and whatnot, but they're also. They're at, we're at a point where we can make a big impression on an entire generation right now mm-hmm. of kids that are coming to shows. I would love to be a gateway band that 15, 16, 17 year old kids get into, you know, and they maybe it's Lorna Shore. They look up, you know, what? I would I want to be like Will someday and sing in a band. And I, I look up to these guys and, you know, when you listen to music when you're 15 16 17 we mentioned all those bands that we all listened to when we were kids i still listen to all those bands Same. all Me the too. time yeah so we have an amazing opportunity right now um to to impact an entire generation and that's why i really want to find a way to for this genre of music and all the subgenres to find that uh cultural relevancy again like we saw in the past with new metal and the screamo and emo days of the early 2000s. So I'm really hoping for it. 
And I always try to touch on this every time I have a discussion like this. <laughs> Dude, this, this is, these are the conversations that I love that we just get into on these podcasts. Cause like, this is the stuff that makes me, makes me think a ton. And you know, what you were saying about the pits too, is like, there are, there are things about the music scene that I remember. Like when I first started going to shows as a metalhead, it was all about like push pits and every, you know, you have your unspoken rules. If somebody falls, you pick them up. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I ever saw hardcore dancing, like, like crowd killing kind of hardcore dancing. It was surprisingly, it was in 2005, a group of my college friends and I went and saw, uh, it was Chimera and Behemoth doing nice. a tour in the US. Behemoth was uh, opening and that was your typical old school push pit. But during Chimera, we started seeing hardcore dancing. And I remember looking at my friends and I was like, like this, what, what? Like, and afterwards we were like, this will never take off. Like this will never be a thing. And little did I know two years later, you started getting like a day to remember is coming out and like, that's all their crowds are. It's like my band used to tour with a day to remember off their, when they were on their like first album, first show we ever did with them. It was pure insanity when they started their set, like fucking, you know, kids doing karate and spinning heel kicks. And like, I was like, this is insane. And then that became an entire culture of that scene in the hardcore scene. Like, mm-hmm. and now we're back to, there's a little bit of a mix of that. Like you, you see those hardcore kids and the metalheads at the same shows. And that's what I saw at Lorna shore was. Yeah. But it was the first time I really ever saw them being very respectful of each other. Like for, for years, the hardcore kids hated the metalheads and, and vice versa. But now it's like they've found a way to coexist at these at these metalcore and deathcore shows where they're actually helping each other out when people fall and they're watching each other's backs and stuff. And it was it was a cool thing to see. And I think it is that younger generation that you're talking about that is it, definitely, you know, definitely. Yeah, I've uh, I'm like you. I like to go in the balcony and observe <laughs> yeah. as well. My body can't take it performing. and I'm definitely not hitting any pits any anytime soon for sure. But yeah. so that's that's sort of what I've observed. Nice. So we're, we're a little over an hour here and I don't want to take up your guys's entire night, but there was one last thing I wanted to touch on because recently from you guys, we've seen some new music. We had Exodus and then more recently we had the music video for dynasty. And it was funny because I filmed my reaction to dynasty and I was like, there, there hasn't been an album announcement yet, but I, I assume since we've got new music, we're going to hear something soon. Two hours after I recorded that reaction, you guys announced the EP. So um, between death and dreams, uh, what is it? April 21st. <laughs> Sorry. Nailed it. Yeah. You're good with dates, man. No, I, it's, I, I had it on one of my screens just so I didn't forget. I'm not gonna. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that. Like my, this guy's my like, oh, I came unprepared, but has it on his screen well, with all my, these notes. Like full, full behind the, behind the scenes magic moment. 99% of the things that I, I, I do remember because I have a very good memory and I try and do it, but I specifically have, I have a tiny word document open that all, all it says is April 21st because I wanted to remember that because that's that's the date. That's big. That's the date. Uh, brand new EP. Um, I don't know how much information you'd like to uh, give out about that yet, but uh, how many about how many tracks are we going to get on that one? Two more tracks. So okay. four in total. Um, so this and I've been sort of discussing it a little bit with some other outlets, uh, some stuff that hasn't come out yet, but. Um, for us, this is more of an experimental EP. Um, right now we're trying a few different things out that we want to explore perhaps in a longer form on a record. And we felt 
it didn't make sense to just do another album when we have all these things that we want to try out first. Mm -hmm. So every single song is way different than one another. Uh, and that's by design because we want to sort of explore some new things. Um, so I'd say this was like, it's part of us growing as a band. It's almost like the, the alpha version or the beta version of what's to come sort of. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to really flesh those things out more. And I'm, I'm very excited about these tracks. I think we tried a lot of new stuff we hadn't touched on before, but well, yeah, I mean, even I, th I believe if I'm not mistaken, I'm not great with song title names and remembering because when I turn on Spotify and listen to music, I just blow through it, you know, same, I think it same. was Di Dynasty. I believe it was like it's, it's you singing on it. Was it Dynasty? Oh, yeah, or Exodus? That, that's a, that's Exodus. That was Exodus. Um, OK, yeah, I, I think we felt. With with um, what's going on right now in the genre, um, I think it's important to add some new elements that other people aren't doing. Mm -hmm. um, so I felt with that song, it was calling for some melody in the chorus. And, yeah. and Leo and I, will, we always say that we'll never force anything. If it feels right, let's just roll with it. Mm -hmm. um, and in that one, it definitely felt, it felt right to, to have some melodic vocals. And they're still pretty aggressive. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think we will explore that some more. Mm -hmm. Um I did sing quite a bit in our old band. Um, very different style than, than that. But yeah. um, I think uh, if the music calls for some melody, we'll definitely explore it. And we want to uh, play around with some new sounds that are outside of the current toolkit that we're using. Uh, nice. So, I mean, you know, your fans are great because like when I first heard that song, I was like, I had an initial moment of being very taken aback because I wasn't expecting uh, like melody and singing. But very quickly, I was like, wow, this works so good on this. And then your guys diehard fans were like, well, Kyle has sang before like and I think that's a good point to make about a lot of harsh vocalists and the extreme vocalists, too, is like. Uh, you know, Will is a good example of that where all the people that are trying to hate on Lorna Shore are like, yeah, but all he can do is, you know, guttural pig noises. And I'm like, dude, he's releasing videos of him doing clean vocal takes to like Spirit Box and stuff like dude, these these guys can sing. It's just the yeah. music they're playing doesn't always call for that. Yeah. Yeah. And our, our fans are the best, man. <laughs> they're just the thing about the great thing about our band is like we incorporate so many different types of sounds, post-production and there, I feel like there's a pretty large stylistic difference between what we do and what other deathcore bands do, and it gives us a leg up in a sense that we can kind of play around with diversity and sound a little bit more without like, um, alienating. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. like making too many people mad. And it, it, Exodus was definitely a gamble for us because, like, that is very explicitly a clean chorus, right? A clean melodic chorus which we had never really played around with before. And it ended up being our fastest growing song of like all time. Yeah. It's killer. So, yeah. And like, I, I think I, you know, the, the fans, like they just loved it, which was excellent. And like, it gave us some validation, like, you know, we're able to experiment with our sound a little bit and people are still going to like it because it's still us, you know, mm -hmm. um, which I'm really happy about. So I actually think too, in, in that particular song, because it gave you some uh, some melody, the breakdown section felt way heavier than it actually is mm. because yeah. there was that light with the darkness. Yeah. Yep. 
So, and I actually am a fan of having that level of dynamic. Sometimes it can be jarring, but if it's done tastefully, and that, I think that's the name of the game for us, mm. is like doing things that are tasteful. Um, something that you can go back and listen to in like five years, ten years, and not be like, whoa, that's really a product of its time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the goal. We want to write something that you can really go back to and not feel as if it's dated. So. Well, your dynamics, you know, thing is, is a great point because uh, just rolling back to like a day to remember, for example, those guys seem so much heavier than they actually are because they have those super catchy, clean sing along pop choruses and then mm. follow, followed up with, you know, pretty simplistic breakdowns for the genre. But those breakdowns hit so much harder mm -hmm. because of what came before it. So like the whole dynamic of it is is spot on. And it's like. You know, I do see some commentary from some fans in the deathcore scene that do say like, you know, man, I love breakdowns and stuff, but it's like sometimes these bands just keep doing breakdown after breakdown and don't really do anything else. And it's like, I, I, I get that. Like sometimes there are moods where that's all I want, but that's why I think Exodus was so good when like initially when I first heard it was I was like, wow, this is there's so much versatility and dynamics here that. You know, I really feel like that's what's going to set you guys apart from a lot of bands, um, you know, in this scene. And also, I just have to throw it out there. Your little TikTok and reels and stuff that you guys did about how you're like creating some of the parts of this are so damn entertaining. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those are fun to make. Those are actually hard to make, dude. Yeah. Like, that's why I, I couldn't don't do imagine it. being a full time like TikTok influencer. That's yeah, such that's a pain tough. in the ass. <laughs> no chance. That's like. I even talked to some other YouTubers like Nick Nocturnal and stuff that are all over TikTok. And I was like, I've tried to do it. And I'm like, I don't know how you guys have the patience for this. Cause I just, it's, maybe I'm old now and I just don't get it. But like, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's hard. It's definitely yeah. hard. And like, you can't predict that algorithm at all. No, like it's yeah. TikTok's so weird because the people who follow your page aren't necessarily the ones that are going to see mm -hmm. content. So it's like, it's such a challenge to like figure out what exactly to put on there at certain points in time. So, yeah. Like, but it's fun. I, I, it's definitely fun. When I try, like what I've learned about doing content is that when you're making something, you, you can't have the expectation in your, like you can't try and make something viral. Like, cause if yeah, you, exactly. if you try to create a video that you think is going to go viral, it's not going to every time exactly. I've ever had something blow up. It's the last thing I would have expected. Like, mm -hmm. One of my most recent TikToks was, um, I think it was, this is Taylor from Left to Suffer did a thing where he was like, do a blind reaction to these deathcore vocals. And I had just woken up and had my coffee and I was like, all right, or try not to stank face is what he was doing. And I, I did a reaction, like a 20 second reaction, trying not to stank face to him doing his vocals. That video got like a hundred thousand views, like right yeah. away. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, I know like, it's so weird, dude. Yeah. Like, like I kind of know what's gonna work. Yeah, there. I feel like there are like certain like subsects of content that you can put on there that like you can get a feel for, but like the majority of the time, it's like no idea what's gonna happen. So you mm -hmm. just try to make something quality that people will enjoy, and then hopefully get some traction from it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So last thing before I let you guys go, I always ask this to everybody that's on here because I feel like it is important. Um, from you guys who are actually in the band. With the new EP coming out, the tours going out, stuff like that, what would you suggest to fans or anybody that might be discovering you? 
what is the best ways for them to support you guys, whether it's financially or not? Uh, just listen to us on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you consume. Um, you want to buy merch, feel free, but ultimately, like, the most important thing is that take a listen, and if you like what you hear, that's great. Welcome to the branded ones. We hope to see you at a show, you know? Yeah, come say hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's pretty much all there is to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, it's, <laughs> I mean, I think people would be surprised to find that a lot of bands, like, that's their answer. Is like, they don't care about buying merch. They're like, just listen to our music and show your friends, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the best way to support any artist, I feel like. You know, spread the word, and if you like it, and uh, we'll see you out there when we see you. Nice. Well, to everybody listening, just as a reminder, Brand of Sacrifice is going to be on the Pain Remains tour with Lorna Shore starting March 30th. So about the time this is coming out. Um, And then you're going to be over in the UK and then you got summer festivals. But before that, April 21st, brand new EP Between Death and Dreams is coming out. And I will have links to all of this in the video on YouTube, as well as links to Shibori Threads. But guys, thank you so very much for giving me your time. I appreciate it. Thanks Thank for, you having, for us, having us. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hopefully I'll talk to you guys soon. Maybe we can catch up again after, uh, you know, some of these tours and the EP comes out and, you know, keep me up to speed so. with what's going yes, on sir. with you guys. Definitely, man. And likewise, I want to hear about what, what's going on in your life, too. Sounds like you yeah. got a lot going on. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can get into that, too. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> yeah. But yeah, have a great night, guys. It was great having you on here and I hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, Likewise, you take man. care. Good night. Take care. All right, see ya. Well, thank you once again to Kyle and Leo, and thank you to every single one of you that have watched this on YouTube or listened on Spotify or Google or Apple or anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. This was a fun one, man. And I always find these first time, you know, conversations interesting because I've never talked to these guys before. And I think sometimes you can tell when we first start a podcast, like the first 20 minutes or so we're kind of feeling each other out and just getting the vibe and talking. And then it starts getting more and more deep into stuff. And I really enjoyed this conversation. And one of the things I've been thinking about a ton since we had it was what Kyle was talking about with metal culture right now. I mean, I've talked about this with other people too, and it is true. It's like, you know, you think 20 years ago about the culture around the metal scene and it was very apparent from the way people talked and acted and dressed and all that. And now while heavy and extreme music is popular, we don't really have that same uh, cultural connection that we had back then with like the style and stuff like that. So it's been really interesting to uh, think about, but uh, I talked to these guys a little bit after we were done, just a little more one-on-one and they're just super, super nice dudes. And I, I love bands like this and I, I wish for nothing but the best for them going forward. And I hope that I get to catch one of the shows. I did see that the pain remains tour is coming to about a two hour drive for me, uh, up in Evansville, Indiana. So I'm, I might take a trek up there for that one just to see, but there's a lot of other good shows coming up here in Nashville too, man. I mean, I'm definitely planning on going and seeing white chapel and arch spire soon. And then uh, Veil of Maya and Orbit Culture just announced a one-off show from the tour that they're on with Avatar, uh, where they're going to be playing in Nashville. So I'm going to go see that. A lot of cool stuff coming up, man. And that's one of the things I like about being home a lot is I can go to other concerts and you know not worry about working, just go and enjoy myself. But uh, 
You know, speaking of working right now, I know a lot of you guys already know I'll be tour managing the Electric Cowboy North American tour this summer, and I've already started work on that. We're advancing shows and renting all the gear and stuff like that, and it's I'm getting really excited for that. So that'll be uh, hitting Canada and the U.S. Uh, in August and September. So if anybody that's listening is that uh, planning on going to one of those, let me know. Maybe I'll meet up with you there, but uh once again, um, you can check out all the information on Brand of Sacrifice at their website, which is brandofsacrifice.com. All the links to their socials and their merch and their tour dates and all that stuff's on there. You can also check out Kyle and Leo's clothing brand, Shibori Threads, at shiboritheads.com. They just had a recent drop uh, as they were talking about. Uh, they did some of the Dark Souls stuff. Um, the Gojira stuff has dropped. They got some awesome stuff, man. So go check it out. But, uh, yeah, coming up in the future on this podcast, I do have a couple things lined up. Uh, immediately I need to reschedule the Nanowar Steel podcast. That will probably be interesting as it always is with those guys. And they just dropped an awesome album a little while ago too. So I'm excited to talk to them about, uh, their touring schedule and a lot of the other crazy shenanigans they've been up to. But uh, that'll wrap it up for this episode, man. If you want to keep up with me on social media, my handle on just about everything is at tank the tech. Uh, I'm most active on Instagram. I post a lot of pictures and videos from tour and stuff like that. And just as a reminder, this podcast is available both in video format on YouTube but also in audio format on Spotify, Google, Apple, and anywhere else that you like to listen to podcasts. Cause I know a lot of people just like to listen to audio when they're in the car or on planes or at the gym and whatever. So I wanted to make that available too, but uh, yeah, man, this was super fun. I can't wait to do more of these. I got to really dive back into content for Twitch and YouTube because again, COVID knocked me out for a little bit, but uh, you know, I appreciate every single one of you that takes the time to listen to this because there are a lot of podcasts and there is a lot of content out there. So it is much appreciated that you spend some time on this one, but I'm going to wrap this one up, man. Wherever you guys are in the world, be safe, be kind to each other. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen. And I'll be back very soon with another episode of the back lounge podcast.